Tonight we are walking through and beginning a series on the 23rd Psalm. Now there's just something about this passage of Scripture that continually draws people back to it. There is a simplicity to it, but at the same time a great depth to the word in Psalm 23. There is a familiarity to Psalm 23, but at the same time it speaks of something that most of us do not experience very often. This is a chapter that many people in this room probably have memorized and have for many years. And for if you don't have it memorized as we read it, you will recognize most of it. But I want to tell you this, as you read through and as we talk through the 23rd Psalm, my prayer is that you will not just skip over it and not get too familiar with it. You know, I know for me, when I'm, when I'm reading, even in my Bible reading, when I come to a passage that I know really well, I have to really discipline myself to slow down and read because so often when we know something, we think we know everything there is to know. So tonight, I want to ask you to the best of your ability to hear the 23rd Psalm with fresh ears, as if it's the first time that you've heard it. Now, I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. It's a uh, translation I typically read each and every day, but I chose it specifically for this because it words a few things a little differently. And I, I like the way that you probably have it memorized, but I like the way that this makes me stop and read it more carefully because it's a little different than I typically have read. So with that said, let's jump in and read Psalm 23 as we get started. Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life and he leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Only goodness and only faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Now, that was David's experience as he wrote the 23rd Psalm. I want to ask you this. Is that your experience? Is that what you experience on a daily basis? You see, David was the great king over all Israel, but what he took pride in in this was not being king, was not being the leader, but being one of the sheep of the great shepherd. Now, David had been a shepherd. If you know his story, he grew up as a shepherd boy. And so when he says that he is a sheep of the shepherd, he knew exactly what he was talking about. He knew what it was like to be a shepherd, and he knew a lot, probably way more than he wanted to, about sheep. But it wasn't the shepherd that David thought he was or that he wanted to be, but the sheep. Now, David understood that when he called himself a sheep, that was not necessarily a compliment to himself. I ran across this video that just gives a, a great illustration of what it's like working with sheep. So you have a, uh, a sheep here that is caught in, the, in this crack, in this, uh, in this crevice. So his shepherd is working and pulling him out and bringing him to safety. And what does the sheep do? goes right back in. That is exactly what David probably had in his mind when he recognized that he was a sheep. 
He was not viewing himself as a sweet, spotless little lamb. He was knew that he was a sheep in need of a great shepherd. He was in need of help. He was viewing himself as that little lamb right there that jumped right back into his mess as soon as the shepherd rescued him. But that's what makes this, I believe, so significant. You see, even if you reject the Lord as your shepherd and you choose to follow someone or something else, you're still that sheep. Just because the Lord isn't your shepherd doesn't mean that suddenly you become the shepherd. That is still you. That is still all you have to work with. The question is, is the Lord walking alongside you to pull you out day after day when you need it? Now, what we want to see is that everything that David said in Psalm 23 was only possible because of the first five words. Those first five words are incredibly significant to this psalm. And none of the psalm would be true if David was not able to say those first five words, the Lord is my shepherd. Because the Lord was David's shepherd, he lived in peace and with blessing and with assurance of his future. And if the Lord is your shepherd tonight, then the same thing can be said about you. But when we as sheep walk without our shepherd, none of this can be true of our lives. It is only when the Lord is our shepherd that this is true. So this evening, we're going to walk through the first five words of the psalm, and we're going to understand the power behind the words as he sets up the most famous psalm in all of Scripture. Now, if you have a note sheet there, you, you might understand where I'm going with the outline. It may, may not take you very long to figure out what these five blanks are on your own and be able to fill them in. But I'm going to ask you to wait with me, be patient, let's work through this together, and let's pay attention to each and every word that David says. The first thing I want us to look at is, the Lord is my shepherd. Look at that first word, the Lord is my shepherd. See, David was, wouldn't have had the confidence in his shepherd if he was just talking about one of many gods that he saw all around him in all the nations around the world. David was confident in his shepherd because he knew that he was the Lord. He was not just one of many lords, he was the Lord the only true God. The Lord was his shepherd. The Bible teaches very clearly that there is only one God. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 that there is only one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. But when we look around in the world, we see many, many gods that are worshiped, many lords. And so when we say there is only one God, what does that mean? See, there is a distinction between the God of the Bible, the Lord uh, that is the shepherd of David, than the Lord and the gods of this world. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 8, 5, and 6 when he said, For even though there are so-called gods, little g, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many, quote, gods, many, quote, lords, yet we know there is one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him. There's one Lord, Jesus Christ, and all things are through him, and we exist through him. So what is the difference between the God of the Bible and the gods, the many gods of this world? See, the God of the Bible, the one true God, he created everything. All things were made by him, and all things exist for him. What about the other gods? They were created by man and exist for man. Man does not exist through and for these gods. These other gods exist for and through man. And that is a huge distinction. 
It's crazy when we look at all the gods that we make in our life in this world. Money, fame, work, relationships, sports, sometimes even church. Anything that we put in our life that is ahead of the Lord. Anybody or anything that we put on the throne of our life becomes that Lord. The Bible says there are many gods, and but God spoke in, in Isaiah how so often people take the wood and they take part of it and they burn to keep themselves warm and they, they take part of it and they cook on it so that they can eat and they take the rest of it and they form it into an idol and bow down and worship it. As ridiculous as that picture is, that is what so many of us do. But that is not at all what David was doing. The Bible teaches that there is one God in the final book of the Bible, Revelation. We read these words from the Lord himself where he says, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. See, God was here in the beginning. God's going to be here in the end. We can't dethrone him. We can't usurp him. We can't undermine him and we can do nothing without him. He's the reason any of us are breathing right now. He is the reason our bodies are being held together. And he is the reason your heart is about to take that next beat. Everything in this world was created for and through him and is returning to him. He is the Lord. And David understood that. That is why with confidence he was able to say, the Lord, the Lord, he is my shepherd. Not just a God, not just some fake God that he's made up that was in his imagination. Not many, one of the many gods that he saw in the nations all around him that people were burning sacrifices to and bowing down to worship. But he knew the one true God, that was his shepherd. If there's anything in your life that takes a front seat before the Lord, then you may not be able to say that the Lord is your shepherd. Maybe there's something else that your shepherd is your bank account, or maybe it's a relationship. I don't know what's leading you tonight, but if you want the things in this psalm to be true of you, if you want to be able to say that you have everything that you need, that you'll be able to walk by, and lay by still waters, and, and even though you go through darkest valleys, you'll fear no danger, that will only be true if the Lord is your shepherd. David would go on to say the second thing, that the Lord is my shepherd. And when you write that word down, do this. I want you to write that Lord in all capital letters. And I'll explain that in just a minute. The Lord is my shepherd. See, in the Bible, there are many words that are translated that we get in English as the word Lord. Now, you know that the Bible was not originally written in English. The New Testament was written in Greek, and the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. I am an expert in neither, but I know how to read books by people who are experts in both. And the, the only reason that we have our Bibles today is the many hours and faithful, countless sacrifice of men and women over the years who are incredibly brilliant, who were faithfully taking their time to translate from the original text into the language that we have today, into the English language, and to give us a very accurate translation. But when you translate, there are certain things, certain nuances that maybe you don't always be able to catch and translate. And, and this is something I found interesting and you do not need to know Hebrew or Greek to be able to understand and study your Bible by any means. But this is something that you can even see in your English Bible, a distinction between the different types of lords in the Bible. Now, I want you to pay attention to what David could have said versus what he actually said. Now, the, the first word, and I promise if you don't like grammar, I promise this will not be very painful at all, and it'll be over before you know it. 
When you look at the word, there's one word that is pronounced something like Adon, and it is Lord. But notice it is a lowercase l. Now, an example of this word being translated is in Genesis when, when Joseph is second in command over all of Egypt. The Lord has given him great favor, and he is second in command. He is the ruler of Egypt. And he is talking to his brothers, and he says, Return quickly to my father and say to them, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down to me without delay. Notice that lowercase l. He's using the word Adon there. He is Lord. He is not at all claiming to be any kind of deity. This is really what we would consider a master or a a ruler. Sometimes this is even, uh, we see it translated how we would use the word sir as a sign of respect. So when you see the the word Lord in your Bible and it is lowercase, it is intentional uh, that it is lowercase and it is just a sign of respect. It is somebody in a position of authority. Now there's another word that you'll see in your Bible that is translated as Lord in the Old Testament. And you might be familiar with this one. It's Adonai. Now, if you look at it, you'll notice that those first four letters are the same. And this is a continuation of that same word. It means Lord, but it means Lord in a different way, in a more intense way. It is a stronger sense of the word. And this is a word in the, old, in the, in the Bible that is only used to refer to the Lord God. See, this is not just a Lord as in a ruler. This is somebody who is the ruler of all. This is the Lord with the capital L. A place you see this very familiar is in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, when Isaiah has a vision into heaven. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, capital L, seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. He's describing a visualization into the throne room of heaven. He sees God Almighty sitting on the throne. He says, I saw Adonai sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. When you see the Lord with a capital L every single time, that is referring to the Lord God himself. But there's a, a third word in the Bible in the, from the Old Testament that is translated as Lord, and it's this, Yahweh. And the distinction here is that when you see it written in all caps, like we see in Psalm 23, Every time you see the word Lord written out in all caps, it is referring to Yahweh. Now, this is important to to realize because of the significance of that name. Now, this is the personal and the holy name of God. This is the name that when God introduces himself and calls himself by name, this is the name that he chose to use. And this is a very important name in the Jewish and Israelite culture and the Hebrew culture. And it was so holy and so to be respected that they would not even say the name Yahweh. And the reason they did, because of the Ten Commandments, when God said, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. And so when they would see the name Yahweh, they knew exactly who they were talking about. They knew exactly who was being referred to, but they would not say the name out of respect for who he was. And so when the Old Testament, or when when they would read through the scriptures, every time they would come to the name Yahweh, instead of saying Yahweh, they would substitute it and say Adonai. And they would refer to the Lord as Adonai out of of respect. But that's how we, we got to the point where we are translating Yahweh as Lord, because they would substitute the word Lord for Adonai, Adonai for Yahweh, if that makes sense. 
But every time you see the all capitalization Lord, you are talking about Yahweh. You're not just talking about the king of the universe. You are talking about a very personal, specific name for a holy God. And if you know anything about uh, the name Yahweh and how it has been translated over the years, there's a word that we use in the English language that is also a translation of Yahweh. Does anybody know what that is? Jehovah. The word Jehovah, if you've heard the names of God spoken, Jehovah Jireh, and so on. The word Jehovah is a transliteration of the word Yahweh. And I find this incredibly fascinating. You know, when the Old Testament was written, this is my last little grammar nerd thing I'll do, and I'll, I'll move on for the night, I promise. When the Old Testament was written, the Bible and the, the Hebrew, they did not write with vowels. They would write just the consonants because in the, in the time that they did not write, it was very much a verbal language at first. And then as they were writing, they would not use vowels. And so later on, they would go and they would add all the vowels when, when written uh, vowels in Hebrew became a thing. So when you would see the, the word Yahweh, it would be the equivalent in English to Y-H-W-H was how it would be written. Now, if you've ever read Hebrew, I know there's some people in the room that have, you read right to left and, and then the vowels are actually placed underneath the word. And so you kind of read right to left and then up and down as you're going. If you're not really into it, it's not something that I'd recommend a whole lot of doing on your spare time. But I'm grateful for the people who have dedicated their life to learning it and studying it and translating it. And so when they went later on in the Old Testament in the Bible, when they would add the vowels in, every time they came to the word Yahweh, the name Yahweh, instead of uh, saying the word Yahweh, you know, they would say Adonai. And so what they did was when they added the vowels to Yahweh, instead of putting Yahweh's vowels, they would put Adonai's vowels underneath it. And so if you read it out, you would end up with what looked like Yahoah. You got the consonants from Yahweh and you got the vowels from Adonai, which went into Greek and eventually, sorry, went into German and eventually came into English as Jehovah. And so when you have the word Jehovah is literally very much a mashing of the name Yahweh with the name Adonai coming together. And that's where we would get the name Jehovah. And when you hear that word Jehovah, you may be familiar with scriptures in which we've pulled that name Jehovah out, whether it be what Abraham would say, uh, or, or what yeah, Abraham named that place in the Bible. He made the, the altar. He said, the Lord will provide. We would say Jehovah Jireh. The Hebrew would say Yahweh Jireh. We see in Judges that Gideon built an altar and he said, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Yahweh Shalom. You'd see in 1 Samuel that the man would go up every year and he'd go and sacrifice to the Lord of armies or some translations say the Lord of hosts, Jehovah, Yahweh, Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Moses would build an altar and say, the Lord is my banner, Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. God would save himself, I am the Lord who heals, Yahweh Rapha, Jehovah Rapha. Bible says when talking about heaven, the perimeter of the city will be six miles and the, the name from that day on will be the Lord is there, Yahweh Shema, the Lord who is present. Jeremiah speaks and says, in his days, Judah's will be, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name that he will be called, Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbath for it is a sign between me and you 
For all generations, you will know that I am the Lord who consecrates you, Yahweh Makadesh. And what we see here in Psalm 23, Yahweh Rohi, the Lord Jehovah Yahweh is my shepherd. You see, when David used the name Yahweh here, we see it just as Lord, but we see it all capital there saying that this is the name Yahweh, the personal holy name of God. Yahweh carries with it all aspects of the character of God. Everything we know about who God is, everything David knew about who God is, that is what he was referencing in this moment. David wasn't just saying that a Lord was his shepherd or that the supreme Lord was his shepherd, but Yahweh was his shepherd. And because of that, he took great confidence in his shepherd. The Lord, all caps, Yahweh is my shepherd shepherd. David would go on to say that the Lord is my shepherd. There's a worldview that many people hold today that is called deism. And what that is, is somebody that believes in God and they believe usually in the afterlife and they believe that God created everything in the world and that he set everything into motion. But they also believe that once God created everything, that he took his hands off and he let go and that he no longer intervenes in the world today. A famous person who believed this was third president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson was a deist, and we know that because of what we have of his, that we refer to as the Jefferson Bible. Now, this was a copy of Thomas Jefferson's Bible, and he literally took a a razor and went through, and he removed any reference to any miracle, to any reference to the Trinity, any reference to the divinity of Jesus, and he removed the resurrection of Jesus Christ from his Bible because he could not believe those things were true because he believed that God was not actually involved in the world today. You see, that is not at all what David believed or what David was saying here. He didn't just say that the Lord was my shepherd. He didn't say that the Lord was involved at some point. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. And that is a very big difference. Later in the Psalms, David would confirm this belief in Psalm 46.1 when he would say that God is our refuge and our strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. David understood that God was not just some far off in the distance God that started and let us go and just going to see what's going to happen, but that God, Yahweh, his shepherd, was an ever-present help in time of need. That's not only true of David, it's true of us today. See, the Lord is your shepherd. When you walk with the Lord, he is your shepherd. The Lord walks with you through every high and every low of life. And there is never a time that he is not with you. He promised that. He said this himself in Isaiah 41.10. He says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. The Lord is my shepherd. God didn't just say that he might do those things. He said he would do those things. He will help you. God has made a promise to you. And God's promises are true. The Lord is my shepherd. David was able to say that with confidence. Are you able to say that? with confidence? Do you believe that the Lord walks with you through every high and every low? 
When he is your shepherd, he is with you every step of the way. The Lord is my shepherd. Some of you have already guessed my fourth point. The Lord is my shepherd. See, David doesn't just say that the Lord is our shepherd. That is absolutely true, but there's so much more to it than that. This was personal to David. He understood that his relationship with the Lord was a personal one. David knew that he was never lost in the crowd and that the eye of the Lord was always on him. That's not just true of David. That's true of us as well. This was personal to David. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, if you're with us last semester, we walked through the fruit of the Spirit and we talked about how the, the fruit of the Spirit is not a checklist that we do in order to become a good Christian, but it is a representation of what our lives will look like when we do walk with the Lord. And we read this verse together almost every week last semester, John 15, verse 4, that says, Jesus is speaking. He says, hey, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. How do we walk with the Lord? By abiding in him. And that is a very personal thing. See, the Lord desires a deep, personal, intimate relationship with each and every one of us. That's why he made us, because he loves us and he wants us to love him. He wants us to know him. He wants to walk with us each and every day. And that's how we were created. That was our original intended purpose. We read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, one of the saddest verses in all the Bible. Up until this point, everything was perfect. And Adam and Eve, the first two people, would walk through their life with God and had a perfect relationship unhindered with the Lord. But in Genesis chapter 3, you, many of you know the story, most of you do. They chose to not believe God, they chose to not take God at his word, and they chose to disobey God, bringing sin into the world. And we read this in Genesis 3, verse 8. Then the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, why did Adam and Eve recognize that sound of the Lord walking through the garden? It's because they had heard it before. They knew what it was like to walk with the Lord. They had done it every night. And every day. This was part of their regular rhythm. This is why that they were created, was to walk with the Lord. But now that sin came into the world, when they, they heard the sound of the Lord, instead of running to it, they ran from it. And ever since then, sin has caused us to run away from the Lord. But the Lord has been so good and has continually, all throughout time, pursued his people and sought to restore that relationship, that personal relationship. Jesus told a story in the New Testament of a, a parable of a man who had a hundred sheep. And as he was watching, he noticed one day that one of them had wandered off and had gotten lost. And what did he do? What did that shepherd do? He left the 99 to go find the one. I don't know if you realize, but you are the one. Jesus is that good shepherd that left the 99, that was not satisfied with the 99, but wanted the one. He was interested in you. He loved you so much that he would not leave you alone. He sought you and pursued you. And the Bible says that when the man found the one, he rejoiced greatly. Dr. Rogers, our former pastor here at Bellevue, used to say it this way. God doesn't just love all of us. He loves each of us. 
God doesn't just love all of us. He loves each of us. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that the Lord loves you specifically? That he doesn't just love you as a member of this church or as part of his, his, his body, but that he loves you individually. He wants to walk with you individually. David understood that. David knew that. That's why he could say, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus said this about the worth that each one of us has to the Lord. Matthew 10, 29 through 31, he says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs on your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. For you are worth more than many sparrows. There is not a bird in this world that falls to the ground without not just the Lord's knowledge, but his consent. He allows it to happen. And Jesus says they're they're sold for nothing. They're cheap. You are worth so much more than any sparrow or any amount of sparrows. And so the Lord is going to watch after those sparrows falling to the ground. You do not need to be afraid for you are worth so much more. David understood that. He understood that he walked with a personal shepherd. And that's why he was able to spend this entire psalm because he knew that the Lord was watching out for him, that the Lord cared for him, and the Lord wanted to be his shepherd. Last thing we see is that the Lord is my shepherd, but also the Lord is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. The relationship between a shepherd and a sheep is vitally important. The shepherd provides for the sheep, he cares for the sheep, and he looks after the sheep. Listen to the way the Lord describes himself in Isaiah 40, verses 10 and 11. He says, see, the Lord God, he comes with strength and his power establishes his rule. Look, think, hear the majesty that's being described here. He comes with strength and his power establishes his rule. His wages are with him and his reward accompanies him. He protects his flock like a sheep, shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arm and he carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those who are nursing. See, if the Lord is your shepherd, then you have absolutely nothing to fear because it's the Lord that is watching out for you. He is your shepherd. He will protect you. He's not here to harm you. He does not have ill will for your life and negative plans. He will protect you. He will gather you into your arms. He will carry you into the fold of his garment. He will gently lead you and he will care for you. See, the Lord willingly has taken on the role of our shepherd. He knew how messy we were. Just like that video we saw at the beginning of the sheep that fell back into the mess he found himself in originally. The Lord knew what he was getting into when he became our shepherd. Yet he still willingly chose because he loves us and he cares for us. Listen to these words that Jesus said of himself in John 10, 11 and following. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, he leaves them and he runs when he sees a wolf coming. When there's any trouble coming, the wolf will then snatch and scatter. At this point, the hired hand, he is long gone. This happens because he's a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. 
Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for my sheep. See, if the Lord is your shepherd, you have a shepherd that is willing to lay down his life for you. In fact, we know that he already has. And he is willing to walk with us and love us and hold us and guide us. If there is anything else in your life that is your shepherd, if you say anything other than the Lord is my shepherd, then you have a hired hand that is watching you. They don't care for you. The first sign of trouble, they're going to run. They will leave. They will not take care of you. Your bank account is fleeting. Your relationships won't be there for you the way they want. Your work, even your church, a lot of times. But it is the Lord himself who is your shepherd, who cares for you. He is the great shepherd. He will never leave you. The Lord is my shepherd. See, these first five words of Psalm 23 make all the difference in our life and in our walk with the Lord. When the Lord is your shepherd, there will be nothing that you need. You'll have everything that you need. When the Lord is your shepherd, he will lead you beside quiet waters. That's something that is very fleeting in our world today. So many people are constantly living in stress and anxiety, but the Lord says, hey, I will lead you beside quiet, still waters. When the Lord is your shepherd, your life will be renewed. When the Lord is your shepherd, you will not fear even when you walk through the darkest valleys of this world. When the Lord is your shepherd, your head will be anointed with oil. When the Lord is your shepherd, only goodness and faithful love will follow you all the days of your life. And when the Lord is your shepherd, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As we look at Psalm 23 this semester, those first five words, we're going to jump back every week as we start. And I'm going to tell you this, there's nothing that you read in Psalm 23 that can be true without those first five words. When you have somebody or anything else as your shepherd, you will not find rest beside quiet, still waters. You will not find yourself with a renewed life. You will find yourself fearing in the darkest valley. You will find yourself running instead of mercy and goodness and love running after you. The Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that today? David could say that, and that's why he was able to read this psalm. I'm gonna read this psalm for us and pray and we'll be dismissed. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Only goodness and only faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Lord, we thank you that you chose to be our shepherd. Lord, we are so messy. We require so much work, but you are faithful through it all. Lord, you pick us up 
and we fall down repeatedly, but you continually pick us up. We thank you that the Lord is our shepherd, that there is none beside you, that there is no one else who competes with you. You are the Lord over all, and that the Lord is our shepherd. We thank you, Lord, that we can say Yahweh is our shepherd, that holy God that revealed himself all throughout Scripture. He is the one that has pursued us and wants to be our shepherd. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are currently our shepherd every day, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. You walk every step with us. And Lord, that if we follow you, we never have to take a step that you've not already taken, that you never leave us on our own, that you are our shepherd. And Lord, we thank you that you are our personal shepherd. Lord, that you don't just love all of us, but that you love each of us. Lord, we are so unworthy of that attention and that affection, but we are so grateful for it. We thank you, Lord, that in the midst of this crazy world, we know that you are the one that will lead us. You are our shepherd. Thank you, Lord God, that you take care of us, that you hold us, that you carry us in the hem of your garment. And Lord, that when the wolves come, that you do not run away like a hired hand or like an imposter. But Lord Jesus, that you stand willing to lay down your life for your sheep. Help us to follow you. Help us to take seriously the calling to be one of your sheep. Lord, help us to know that we need to listen to your voice, that you know best. Our shepherd knows best. Help us to follow you better tomorrow than we did today. Help us to love you more tomorrow than we ever have. And help us to walk through this world in your steps, knowing that you are our shepherd and you will lead us everywhere that you want us to go and that every step we take with you is a safe and trusted step. We thank you for the promises that you've given us, and we thank you that your promises are true. We pray this in your name. Amen.